Well, we're going to get right into it. Um, why don't you guys grab your Bibles? We're in Matthew 8. And uh, yeah, it's going to go a lot quicker now. The Sermon on the Mount took a long time. But now that we're in Matthew 8, the encounters with Jesus are incredible. And, and the way that Matthew presents them is not on accident. They're thematic, and he puts them back to back for very specific reasons. And we'll get into that in just a moment. But um, let's just pause. Let's have a word of prayer. And uh, as usual, let's just pray that the Holy Spirit would fill each one of us. Um, church is never meant to be a passive thing where we come like a lecture or school. Instead, this is a time where we come actually meeting God. When, when Jesus went to the, to the house of God, he went there to commune with him. He called it his father's house. It was a place where he could just go and, and be with his father. It's just a set-aside time. So let's just pause, ask the Spirit to fill us, and then we'll get into the text. Yeah, Jesus, we pray that um, that your spirit would be so present with each one of us individually, God. God, when your spirit came at Pentecost, everyone heard in their own language. And you spoke to each person individually. I pray that you would do the same this evening, that everyone would hear it in their own language, God. The way that you've created each one individually, our unique DNA based on our experiences, things that have happened in our lives, God, things that you're calling us to. God, we all have a different language that the Father has with us, and I pray that your Spirit would speak to each one of us uniquely and beautifully, Father. Thank you, God. Amen. Well, it seems um, that every single time I, 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 I teach something, God is speaking to me outside of the passage. The Bible is living and active, and we all know that. And I came across this video on Facebook, and, and many people have been sharing it. It's been going viral. And, um, and, and I really think that as I watched it, God was just, was just revealing something to me about his heart. So I want us to watch it. It's uncomfortable, and I want you to think about one thing, is that where would Jesus be in this scenario? Like, where would he be in the midst of what we're about to watch? Which side would he be on? Where on the streets would he find himself? And then we'll go from there. Okay, Matthew. I trust in you. you do not have faith in him apart from the grace of God. The grace of God that causes men to be born again. It causes men to walk in newness of life. You cannot muster that up apart from the grace of God. You must cry out to Him for mercy this morning. Jesus, have mercy on us. Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Young lady, you don't have to be a murderer this morning, young lady. Don't listen to the wicked counsel of these orange-vested people. These orange-vested people who are rubbing you on the back and telling you that it's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay for your baby. It's not going to be okay. Your baby is going to be torn limb from limb. Your baby's head is going to be crushed. Your baby's going to be destroyed with chemicals. It's not going to be okay this morning. And it's not going to be okay for you unless you repent. That's uncomfortable. And that guy kind of looked like me. Um, 
Why don't we just spend a moment just where you're at, just find some people around you and just, just talk about in that scenario where you, based upon the Jesus that we know through scriptures and through our relationship with him, would, do you imagine Jesus would find himself in that scenario? Let's just spend two minutes and talk it out and then we'll continue with our text. Go ahead. All right. Well, that's good. And um, obviously in a situation like that, there clearly, it's, it's not a black and white thing that we just witnessed. There's gray all over the place. Um, I heard many of you say, well, I, I, I heard what I thought I heard people saying that, that they could imagine them, Jesus being in one of the orange vests and comforting and loving, um, but also speaking the truth in love. I mean, clearly um, scripture teaches against um, um, abortion. I mean, I think it, that's pretty black and white. But we witness something like this, and we're like, there just seems to be something wrong. There just seems to be a heart posture that we don't see in Jesus. And and as I watch this, I, it, it hurt me because there's so many people that don't know the love of Abba, just their father, just a Jesus that comes and says, I don't condemn you, I love you. And and I have so many family members that don't know him, and their, their view of God is that he is angry and that he comes to condemn. And, and so many people that have been just trying to show the love of Jesus, and I know that this is going on, and I'm like, oh, Father, I pray that your spirit would, would reveal your heart to our, our culture. You know, our God is Abba, and like with the prodigal son, he chases us, and I love it where he embraces us, and he kisses the son. He just kisses him. John 3.17 is probably my favorite verse in scripture. God didn't come to the world to condemn it, but to save it. And you know what? Many people are not in church tonight simply because they feel like God is ashamed of them. They feel like they're just not worthy. And many of you maybe have felt like that. And you're like, I, I remember feeling that way. And I don't feel that way now. And maybe some of you actually feel like that even now. You're like, oh, I'm here. But I feel like 
that lady walking into that clinic that everyone's just staring at me and shouting at me even though it's nonverbal. And I know that many of us feel that way from time to time. As Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount, he comes down and his first encounter is what we're about to witness. It's almost like he gives his whole ethos. This is who I am. This is what I came to do. He comes down from the mountain, and this first encounter captures his heart. This is, this is intentional. This is the very heart of God we're going to study right now. Why don't you guys grab your Bibles now. Matthew 8. And we're just going to look at four verses. We'll cover a lot of the chapter in concept, but we're going to study four really intentionally. Matthew 8, verses 1 to 4. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. So he just gave the sermon, but they're not leaving him alone. They're just like, oh, tell us more, Jesus. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, can you make me clean? Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. When Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift of Moses commanded as a testimony to them. This is a lot of cultural things that we have to unpack, but what just we witnessed right there was very unusual. You see, in the Talmud, Jews were forbidden to go within six feet of lepers, and if it was a windy day, 150 feet. So because of that, they just made a set rule, 150 feet. And so lepers would have to actually leave the city altogether to stay 150 feet away from anyone else. That's basically from me to where the parking lot begins. It's quite a distance. And they couldn't go anywhere near people. Religious leaders taught them that if they were to see a leper when they're outside of the city and they just come across a leper, they're to throw rocks at them. This is how they were greeted, with rocks. Josephus, the historian, claims that rabbis would not even eat an egg that they purchased on a street that a leper had walked on. They were so terrified of leprosy that they wouldn't eat food if a leper was anywhere near the place where they bought it. So they made lepers walk around with cowbells on. You know that constant ding of a cow? <laughs> ding, 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 ding. A leper would have to have this constantly around their neck. So that if you were to happen upon a leper, you could keep your six or 150 foot distance, whatever you determined. Everything about leprosy ended your life. If you found on yourself a white swelling mark, kind of like a bit of a rash. You know when you get a sunburn and it's like a white swelling you'd have to immediately go to a rabbi. At that point, according to Leviticus 13, they would determine if you had leprosy or not. So there's all of these rules. If the hair is discolored, if it changed color, if it grew, anything like that, you were deemed to have leprosy, and at that moment, everything shifted. At that moment, immediately, the rabbi would take your clothing and tear it. He would rip it. He would actually take the person's hair and mess it up. No joke. They would then say, you have to leave the city immediately. You have to cover your mouth, and if you see anybody, you have to yell unclean. So, unclean! You have to look around, hide yourself, yell unclean. And so they would walk through the city until they're outside of the gates. Once they're there, they're to grow out their hair 
they're actually supposed to cover their top lip with hair. That's grow a mustache. It symbolizes their uncleanliness. It's the original concept of the dirty mustache. And they're to leave the city permanently. And here's what's so crazy about this, is that they're to not even go home. So if the rabbi says, you have leprosy, you're gone. You're not allowed to go home and tell your wife. You're, someone would go in your stead. You're not allowed to go and hug your kids one last time. You're not allowed to go and talk to your friends. It is illegal to greet someone with leprosy. Oh my goodness. Josephus said for lepers... It is as though they are already dead. Just imagine. The rabbi says it's leprosy. You will never speak to your family again. Your best friends are dead. You can't touch them. You can't talk to them. Absolutely crazy. Imagine living your life. You're going to bed. You look on your arm, and there's a white sore. <laughs> it's, it's unfathomable. And it ends with you looking like a whore. When we were in India, I came across this lady, and we were, um, we were just right in the middle of Delhi, and this lady comes up to me, and she had a hole in her whole face. Like, her nose was gone. It was just nasal cavity, and she just had stumps, and she was just coming up to me like this. And I was terrified. I didn't know how to deal with this lady, and she was just coming after me, so I'm just like, ah! She was so, so hideous. Leprous, the word means scaly. And what happens is that um, where, where your skin is, it develops tons of scales and blood flow is cut off and it gets so numb. And so people actually get the appearance of a lion because their skin bunches up, their eyebrows furrow, their eyebrows and eyelashes fall off. This is sort of um, what leprosy looks like in its early stages if you were to look up leprosy on Google image search, it's so gruesome, this was like the nicest one that I could find. And because of just this rotting, they say that there's this smell that goes along with them that you could taste. It's just this rotting, and it's constant. And they lose all sensation, and, and fingers actually begin to fall off. You got a picture of that, Matthew? Um, that's how their hands turn after a period of time. It also attacks their larynx so that lepers speak with this rattling sort of hoarseness. And they say that a leper is, is something completely different. You can smell them, you can see them, you can hear them. And so the Jewish people associated all skin diseases with sin. So they assumed that the leper was just a manifestation of sin. So if you have leprosy and it shows up as leprosy, they're like, you clearly had a sin. This is God's judgment upon you. This is who you are now. You're cut off permanently. Absolutely terrifying. So imagine this scene. Jesus is walking down from the mountain. He's got tens of thousands of people with him. And all of a sudden, he hears people screaming. Because if you see a leper, you have to yell unclean at them. You have to make sure they keep their distance. And if you're a, a really spiritual Jew, you take rocks and throw it at them. So Jesus is walking with the group, and all of a sudden, he hears them screaming just from all over the place. Like, unclean! Unclean! And everyone's pointing, unclean, unclean. And he hears the, the, the ring of the bell. And people are trying to get away from this leper to keep their distance. So the crowd would split in half. Men would be throwing rocks. 
And in order to keep the distance, some men would pick up large sticks, at least six feet long, and would push at the leper with these long sticks. So this leper sees Jesus and is trying to get to him, but with this crowd, it just goes nuts. They're running, and it's splitting, and they're screaming, and all of a sudden, the leper gets to Jesus and falls at his feet and kneels, and here's what's remarkable, is that everyone else would have had to be six feet away. So there's this six-foot radius and tens of thousands of people. And now they want to know what Jesus is going to do because if you touch a leper, you're unclean and you cannot go to the temple. You have to go through all these ritual cleansings. How is Jesus going to deal with this? This guy's in front of him. Oh, Jesus, what are you going to do? Like, are you going to actually engage this guy? And there he is. And you can imagine the crowd that just sat and listened to this whole Sermon on the Mount. They're going to be like, what's Jesus going to say? And the screaming crowd would have gone dead quiet. Just like, oh, what's going to happen? He's at the feet of Jesus. Dead silence. He kneels and he says, if you're willing, can you make me clean? That's what he says. He didn't ask to be healed. I don't think he cared much about his physical problems. It was the issue of being clean because he couldn't go to the temple to worship God. He was cut off from God. And he couldn't go and talk to his family or his friends. He just wanted to be made clean again. He just wanted contact again. That's what he asked for. He just wanted to worship God again. And he came and and he worshipped him. That's what this word, word knelt means. The King James Version says, Look, a leper came and worshipped Jesus. He fell, and he said, If you're willing. Now, you have to understand, at that moment, if Jesus would have said, No, you're unclean, and walked away, they would have killed that leper. What he just did was so illegal, the men would have gathered around him with stones, and they would have killed him on the spot. One man then would have been assigned to drag him out of the city to Gihanna, where he would have rotted. And then that man would have had to go through the ritual cleansings. This was what was going to happen if Jesus said no. You see, he knew that Jesus could heal. He had the power. That's why he said, if you're willing. He just wasn't sure that he wanted to, because no one else would ever come near him or touch him. And everyone else was ashamed. So he's like, are you the same? Are you willing What does Jesus say? He says, yes, I'm willing. He said, be cleansed. He cleansed him. And then Jesus reaches down and he touches him. Do you see how powerful that is? This leper hasn't been touched in years and years. No one's touched him. Imagine having nobody physically touch you. And then suddenly, God himself, with the power of the Almighty God and the perfection and the purity of God, reaches down and physically touches you, the feeling that would have created in him. you got to understand that Jesus didn't have to touch him to heal him, right? The very next story, right after this, Jesus continues walking and a centurion comes and he says, my slave is sick. And, and Jesus says, take me to him. And the guy says, no, 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 I don't, I'm not even worthy to have you under my house. Just do it from a distance. And Jesus says, he is healed. Jesus heals the next guy from miles away. 
He doesn't have to touch the leper. These stories are side by side to point out that Jesus, God himself, touched this man. It's the highlight of the entire ministry of Jesus that he reached down and touched him. He touched him. And he made him well. Unbelievable. And he completely healed him physically. Fingers were regrown. I want you to imagine that. You're standing in this six-foot radius. You're watching. The leper puts up his hand. And was it like a slow healing? Like all of a sudden fingers slowly grow? Whoa! Or was it like, did they pop up? Like, like what? what happened? Everybody would have been like, oh my goodness. And here's the crazy thing is that this man whose skin and nerves and everything were completely destroyed, you think it couldn't have been a complete, like, 100% change, but it was. Listen to this. This is what Jesus says. This is what we can misunderstand. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone. This was important. The leper did go tell people, and so Jesus couldn't go preach in certain areas because the crowds were too big. But go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. What is going on here? In Leviticus 13, it was required that before you're welcomed back, if you're healed of your leprosy, you have to go and present yourself again to the rabbi. Rabbi, I've been healed. And then the rabbi would look for any white mark. This is all that it looks like. I got a picture This is what the beginning of leprosy looks like. If you have that, you're not clean. This guy did not even have a white mark. Fingers regrown, face fixed, nose repaired, all extremities on the body rot in leprosy, and he's completely made well. Oh, my goodness. You guys see this? Jesus says, go. Present yourself and show the rabbi how perfect this healing was. But what is this gift that Moses commanded? This is where it gets amazing. This is what happens. If a leper was ever healed, which it has never happened before this moment, ever, but it's still in the book of Leviticus for a reason you'll understand in a moment, this is what you have to do. You go to the rabbi, he looks you over, no white spot, okay, good. Then you have to bring two birds this is gets kind of gross. We can use, no, we're not going to use the communion bowl as an example because we're going to use that later. You take two birds. You kill a bird. Then the rabbi, sorry, the priest would empty his blood and pour it into a bowl. This is the gift that Moses commanded. The second bird you'd take, you would dip it in the bowl of blood and then let it go free. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is the gift that Moses commanded. This is a powerful image. He's saying, you're completely free now. You're free to go home. I want you to imagine this moment now. The leper is free to go home. To open the door of his house and see his wife. He's no longer the leper. Who knows what his name was? Steve. But everything about him has changed. He gets to embrace his kids and play with them and snuggle them. He gets to see his wife. I want you to imagine the reunion there. He gets to have sex with his wife again. 
Sometimes we don't think about these things. He gets to go to his friend's house. He gets to have a meal. He gets to go and, and back to the synagogue. He gets to go to the temple. He gets to worship God. Everything is restored and he's completely free, just like this bird that was dipped and released. Oh, but imagine this. Imagine the leper just gets freed and is made clean and he does not go home. But he goes back out the city gates to the leper colony and let's imagine he forfeits the intimacy that he just gained with God and communion with his family and friends. Just imagine he doesn't do it. You see, this whole symbol in Leviticus of the bird that was killed and the bird that was set free, this was not meant for lepers because this never happens. It was a symbol for me and you. This is a symbol of Jesus in the book of Leviticus saying, just as leprosy was viewed as sin, it's saying that in that same way, there was one that will come and die and his blood will set us free. This is Jesus That's what the symbol is for, and that's what Jesus is saying. But you know what? So often, we do the same thing in that we just go out to the leper colony, and we just don't walk in new communion with God. The gift that Moses commanded was for each one of us. We need to step into it. Listen to this. This is what Paul says to the Galatians. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You see, you're free now. You're free. But for us, it's the same thing in that the thing that cuts us off from the Father is the acts of the flesh. This is our leper colony, and we isolate ourselves from him. The living hell of being a leper was being cut off. And so often... We just walk right into that lifestyle. We're set free. We have communion. But we're like, nah, I'm not going to take it. I'm going to choose the colony. And Paul lists these acts of the flesh in in verse 9 of of Galatians 5. He says this is what they are. The acts of the flesh that cut us off from the spirit are sexual immorality, idolatry. That's basically worshiping anything other than God. That's how we spend our money and how we spend our time. It's jealousy, it's selfish ambition, and it's drunkenness. Basically, sex, power, wealth, and drunkenness. And they isolate us from the spirit. They're our leper colony. And you know what? This is Kelowna, isn't it? If you're to tell anyone outside of Kelowna where you're from, try it. Like, hey, where are you from? Oh, we're from Kelowna. And they're like, oh, party town. It's like, what? You're from party town. You're from that place where... All things of the flesh are celebrated. And it's true. You know, when did the word party come so synonymous with the acts of the flesh? When did that happen? As kids, if ever you were invited to a party, it's like, a party? Any kind of a party. Hockey party. It's like, yes! Birthday party? Class party? Any sort of party? Because here's what a party always meant. A party always meant a few things. It was celebrating something. And it was always, your friends are going to be there. 
It was communion. And it was a moment where you didn't want it to ever end. It was like, okay, um, we're having this party, and you just enjoy it. You just take it all in. You don't want anything to get in the way of what's going on right now, and you don't want morning to come because you're at a party. Am I right? Oh, a party. I just love those so much, fully embracing the moment. And as adults, these events change, and they're usually built around other things like booze and, and just general debauchery. It's so different how they change where we insulate ourselves from the moment, where we actually insulate ourselves from other people. A party used to be all about being there with people. Now it's all about these things that make me just isolate and insulate. And I don't understand how that happens where it's just a dulling and a numbing of our reality. Queen got married yesterday to Anna. It's quite the event. I'm surprised they're not here. Um, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and on Friday night, we partied. Let me tell you. They came over. Uh, I went to bed, and my stomach hurt just from laughing. It was, it was, <laughs> it was something else. Like, we had so much fun. Um, what was interesting is that, is that I laid in bed. I just thought to myself, that was such a fun night. And there, nobody had even a drop of booze at that party. And I just thought, imagine New Year's parties, guys' nights out, girls' sparkling hill days, just where we just get back to the just joy and laughter and the presence of each other, where we fully embrace the moments. You see what I'm saying? Like when, when this, this view of a leper colony where we isolate ourselves, and it's by the acts of the flesh... Why, do we, why are we so drawn to those things? Why do we forfeit just the presence of God so easily? Why do we just lay it down so simply? We've been just released. And he says, go for it. You've been freed by the blood of Jesus. Go for it. Listen to what Proverbs 31 says. This is so crazy. It is not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Listen to this. Let beer be for those who are perishing, wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. You're thinking, what in the world? I am not anti-alcohol. You can revisit the marijuana message from the fall. I believe that alcohol has got a very... um, beautiful place in the kingdom of God. It was used for celebrations. Proverbs says that wine gladdens the heart. There's nothing wrong with alcohol. Drunkenness is a very different story, but also idolatry, where we place it somewhere where it doesn't belong, can become an issue. You see, but when we can't celebrate or party without drunkenness or debauchery or jealousy or envy or gossip, then we're living back in the leper colony. Listen to what he says. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. When we drink to forget, then we're living in poverty and anguish. That's what we're doing. Thursday morning, I woke up really early. It was like 5.30 in the morning. I couldn't get back to sleep. You guys know those mornings? It's like, oh, and I made a mistake. I should have gone downstairs, made coffee, and opened my Bible. But I went downstairs, made coffee, opened my Bible, and I grabbed my cell phone. 
And I checked my inbox. Mistake. Because then it shows that you're active on Facebook. I immediately got a phone call on Messenger at 5.30 in the morning. And I thought, I can't even think I'm not answering this. It turns out to be this guy I went to high school with. And this was a guy who I went to Pines Bible Camp with. Probably the funniest guy you'll ever meet. Many of you have heard stories of him. This was a guy who would actually um, pile up picnic tables and try to jump as many as he could. (laughs) He would run down a hill and try to jump picnic tables. And one time he got three high. It was outstanding. He tried to jump a cabin by stacking picnic tables. And when he got to the, the cabin hit him right here, like the roof of the cabin, and it split him wide open. (laughs) Anyways, at the campfire chapel that night, the director got up and said, just so you all know, this guy has been banned from jumping. <laughs> it's the first time that actually the word grounding makes sense. He wasn't allowed to jump anymore. He was grounded. And um, he would sit in the back row with me during the, the campfire times, and he would rap all the songs. <laughs> like, like he'd rap. It was so funny. This guy was hilarious. After that point, he, he chose the life of the leper colony, and he just went fully into the drug scene. If, if you were to go to Grand Forks and say, who do you think of when you think of Pothead? His name is the first name. He just went full into just that whole scene. And this was the guy who called me. And this is what he said. Is he messaged me and he said, is there anything happening with Jesus involved in Kelowna? <laughs> I'm like, yes. And he goes, send me the links. And so we're talking and he's sending me all these Lecrae songs, this, that, the other. And, and he said to me, listen to the lyrics of this Lecrae song. And, and I'm like, that's cool. And he says, hear what it says about drinking and drugs, how they make you a slave. <laughs> and I was like, my goodness, what's happening here? And I said, what happened to you? And this is what he said to me. He said, you know what I realized? He said, Bible camp was real life. And he says, he says I cannot believe that I have been missing out. He says, I've been missing out. I have been choosing this colony where I am separating myself from each other and from God, and I am invited to freedom, to full access with the Father, for relationship with each other that is not insulated or isolated. He said, how did I miss out all these years? I'm pretty sure we're going to start to see him around here soon. Praise the Lord for that. I think about the leper, and, and he took a crazy risk, and he saw Jesus, and he fought through the crowd to get to him. He fought past everyone's opinion of him. He fought past his old identity. He wasn't sure where he was going to land or if they were going to kill him. He didn't know how it was going to go. But he just ran for Jesus and he found freedom, just like that bird. And I think for so many of us, we got to say, I need to fight back to Jesus. I've been lazy in my faith. Sometimes you're like, you receive Christ and then you just coast. We just get lazy. We just feel distant from God and we're like, God, it's your fault. I don't feel you anymore. What is that saying? I don't feel you anymore? He's saying, I've been here. Like, I'm here. Come to me. He says, he says come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me. Come on over. So many times I look at my life and I realize that I have chosen these acts of the flesh and I have chosen just this inferior life that is 
just so full of, of bondage and oh. I really believe that in this place tonight that, that we can return to Jesus and run to him and he's going to meet us and we're going to be like that leper, completely free, just like, here you go, you're gone. This gift of Moses was never for the lepers, it was for us. It's for us. They say that that leper actually never even went, by the way, to the rabbi to present himself. He never did it. It was never in recorded history used on a leper. It was designed for us from the beginning. The book of Leviticus, it was that our sin separates us from the Father and from each other. This was for us. And when we come to Jesus, we're set free. We're going to pray and worship and take communion together. And these front rows are going to have people to pray for you. I really encourage you, if you're just like my friend in high school, and you're saying, you know what, I've been missing out. Life following Jesus is the life that I want. I want to recalibrate my idea of what a party looks like. I want to recalibrate my idea of what community looks like and what being a friend looks like and what celebrating looks like. Oh, come on up and and let's just pray. So Jesus, you're so good to us. God, I thank you that that when we come to you, Father, that you are there, God, and you chase us and pursue us and you embrace us and you kiss us. God, and you call us your son. You call us your daughter. That you don't count our sins against us, God. You say that you don't count our sins against us. That you embrace us. And you say, call me Abba, your father. You have full access to me. Jesus, I pray that that you would just completely renew our minds tonight, God, as we worship you. God, as we take part in this act of communion, God. God, where we're dipping the bread into the juice, God this symbol of what in Leviticus you did for us to set us free. Paul says not to return to those prisons, God, to bondage, to slavery. God, I pray that you would just set us free this evening. Pray that you'd renew our minds, God, and soften our hearts, God. I pray that you'd prepare us for more. God, I really believe that, you, that we're in this space where you have more for us, God, where you're saying, I, I want new wineskins. I want you to be open to more of me. I want you to be open to new revelation that didn't happen when you were younger or a teenager or a kid or even last year or even in the winter, but something brand new. God, may we have open hearts to you, Jesus. God, we worship you now through, through your body and your blood. And so I invite you to come forward and take communion with us. And the way that we do it is, um, is we just take a piece of the bread and, and dip it in the, in the juice. And you can take that whenever you feel ready, whenever you, you've allowed the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. And, 
And Paul speaks really seriously about this. And he says that if we do this in an unworthy manner, in a manner where we do it for the audience of others, or where we're not truly surrendering ourselves and saying, I receive your sacrifice for me. He says that we eat and drink judgment upon ourselves. So I, I really encourage you to examine your motives in your heart. And, and if you want to follow Christ and you're trusting him with your life, then, then take part in this. And we would love to celebrate with you as you do that.